0: This is the C to Sky Podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in C to Sky Country. Welcome to another edition of the C to Sky Podcast. My name is Marcus. I am with uh, Doug Race, uh, incumbent counselor, Doug Race, and uh, I, I can call you Doug or Mister Race. Doug. All right, I'll call you Doug. Thank you, sir. Mister Race sounds
1: too old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there myself. So let's let's get to the nitty gritty. You've been you've been in council now for about ten years, right? You've
1: that's correct. I'm just finishing my third term.
0: That's uh, quite a while, and you're the only one coming back.
1: That's amazing, actually, to me. Um, I am the only incumbent councillor running for a council position. There's two uh, councillors that are running for mayor, but obviously different positions. So, and that's a surprise to me. You know, a month ago, if you'd asked me, I would not have predicted that. Uh, it's just the mayor decided not to run uh, at the last minute, uh, Patty Heintzman. And so Karen Elliott stepped up for that position. And uh, Councillor Blackman-Wolf, who I'd spoken to in June, uh, has decided to move back to Vancouver. Uh, others were predictable, they had announced earlier, but but I hadn't thought I would be the only one running for uh, one were of the six positions. Were you ever on the positions.
0: fence? Were you ever thinking? Oh like yeah, I was actually, yeah. you know,
1: and, and to be honest, uh, when I got elected last term in 2014, I thought that would probably be my last term. Uh, and then, as it got closer within the last year, I started going back and forth in my mind, and so I was on the fence for about a year. As a matter of fact, yeah.
0: And so, what 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 pushed you to go in for one more? Well, one more it, round? It,
1: it's it's uh, there's really no one thing. Part of it was, uh, as my brother says to me very charitably, "What else are you going to do?" And so, <laughs> <laughs> there was a there was a certain aspect of that, but. But really, it's, it's a public service thing, you know, and you kind of get tied into the community, you get tied into these issues. There's still things that I want to see happen. There's some major issues coming at us this term. Uh, I still want to spend more time on the oceanfront, not just the oceanfront, but the whole of the waterfront. That, I'll confess, is a bias of mine. I, I grew up sailing and visited port cities all over the world. And, and so I, I have a feeling that waterfront development uh, can be the real heart of a downtown area and a community. Uh, and I just want to see ours develop a little more. There's also some very big issues: uh, housing and development, and development pressure, certainly. And then also uh, Garibaldi at Squamish, which I think is really not on most people's radar right now.
0: No, it's becoming. Trust me. On, when if you talk to look at social media, look at uh, the buzz. It's 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 a big topic right now. It's definitely warming up.
1: Yeah. When I first ran for council, they were right in the middle of the EA process, the environmental assessment process. Uh, and so there were public hearings and so forth associated with that, and so it was right in the front of everybody's mind, and there were significant groups in opposition and for it and so forth, so it was a matter of considerable debate, but not so. They've got their EA certificate now, and they're now proceeding on to uh, getting close to the zoning stage, and they want to start talking about zoning. So we had a presentation from them a few months ago at council, uh, and they want to start that within the first six months of council. So it will be uh, one of the things on the new council's plate for sure. And that is a huge issue for Squamish. Whether you're it or against it, the magnitude of it can't be denied. It will be transformational, in, or could be.
0: Yeah, because all the issues we are facing, this is sort of the tip of the iceberg of all the issues we're having. Because if you want to build something like Garibaldi Squamish, you're talking about amenities. You're talking about transit. You're talking about housing for staff. So these are all the things we are actually looking at within our community. So when you put something up there like that, it just puts a big, I think, spotlight on all the other problems we're having. Well,
1: that's true. And 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 it's um I mean it would be built in phases certainly, but twenty-two thousand five hundred bed units is the present proposal. Right. That uh bed units is a planning term. That's not different housing units, but at six to single family, two to say a hotel room, and four to multifamily, that means it will be somewhere between, say, 3,500 different housing units if it was all single family, and 11,000 if it was all hotel rooms. It'll probably be a mix of that, of course. So that's a lot. Uh, and, and yes, you would want to see a development like that provide for a lot of its own services, its own housing, staff housing, and so forth. Inevitably, it would put a lot of pressure on, on the existing Squamish community, just for things like the library and the pool and the playing fields and all the other things that happen to say nothing of the road, uh, which um, we've all been through the lineups of the the traffic lights on Sunday afternoon, and you can just imagine if there's two ski resorts feeding into it instead of just one.
0: Yeah, that one traffic like Britannia Beach just backs traffic right up. Well,
1: that's on the way up, well, and on the way down, but there's also the one at Cleveland Avenue, the one at uh, Industrial Way, you know, exactly, so I've been in those, well now, I just don't travel on the highway (laughs) on Sunday afternoon. (laughs) You
0: have the luxury to do so. Yeah. So for you to come back, I mean, that means you think there's some things left undone, some things left unfinished, because your counterparts think, all right, you know what? I've done enough. I'm, I'm out of here. But you, you're sticking around. So that means uh, apart from some of the, like the gas and the waterfront uh, or garibaldi Squamish, I don't know why we call it gas. It's not very uh, alluring at all. I think they're
1: going to try to rebrand it, actually. I think so. <laughs> so
0: apart from, let's just call it gas because it's gas. Uh, and, and the oceanfront, what other pet projects or whatever, what other things do you think has been, needs to be guided along?
1: Well, I don't know that there are things that are undone. I mean, there's all kinds of things in process. Uh, and one of the significant accomplishments of the last term was our OCP. And it was an unprecedented level of public engagement. Public really bought into it. And I think it's a really good OCP But part of it is the growth management boundary and and an effort to manage growth. You can't stop people from coming here. That's just not realistic. And you can't say to developers, there's no more building. You can't have moratoriums because people have private property and they have certain rights and some of the land is already zoned. But you can try and manage it and contain it and follow smart growth principles. And so that's what this OCP does. And it does it with a growth management boundary, which is basically just a line around all of the existing settlement and brownfields and leaving outside that uh, the greenfields, the undeveloped sites. So I think there's going to be pressure on that in the coming term. Uh, There's already been some landowners that are not happy about being on the outside of that boundary. There will be pressure uh, on it, and I think that's one of the things that I want to try to defend. There's always going to be, it's it's not a hard line, uh, there's always going to be opportunities that come along which would make a council uh, want to change the boundary to accommodate a certain opportunity quest university is a classic example there was there was nothing planned for something like that the ocp wasn't didn't contemplate it but along came quest university as an opportunity uh, and the community at the time just jumped at the opportunity uh, amended the ocp and accommodated it so there will be things like that, you know.
0: Yeah, like the Chima lands and a few other lands. I mean, that's where it comes down to management. You are talking about smart growth initiatives, which I've, where I've talked to three out of the four or three out of the five, sorry, mayoral candidates uh, so far. And two out of three talk about, about when it comes to growth and it's about managing the growth of when it comes to development and sort of in relation to creating jobs and creating business here. Uh, and from what I understand from all three candidates, it's, it's a balance. And and trying to, because you want to build uh, certain certain places for people to live, and especially if you're going to attract certain companies that have a uh, certain type of incomes, you need to sort of accommodate those that are coming up here, like those rec tech companies and, and so forth. So... Yeah, when you talk about Chima lands, about building single-family homes, or we talk about rental housing, I mean, there's a lot of things, I think, when it comes to the housing. What would your smart growth initiative say that we should be doing?
1: Well, first of all, when you talk about those landowners that are outside, the door is not absolutely slammed shut on them. If they have a proposal uh, that a council decides is for the betterment of the community and is a real benefit, they can just change it, and they can accommodate that proposal. They can just rezone it. Council always has that opportunity. But apart from that, if you're looking at sort of the existing community and trying to densify and so forth, so you want to build a really livable community. And I think that's what people moving in here want to see. And so that's trails, sidewalks, provision for daycare, there's playgrounds, parks, the usual things. And I think as far as jobs go, one of the things that actually got me running on council in the first place uh, was to get local employment. I don't want to see just residential built. I don't want us to become a bedroom community. We've been quite diligent, I think, over the last couple of years and the last couple of terms, actually, of looking for employment opportunities. We give zoning benefits for buildings that are employment as opposed to residential. Uh, so there's all kinds of techniques like that to make this a place where you don't have to commute, uh, where you can kind of walk to work if you like, or you can walk to the daycare or the grocery store, things like that. So it is it's a quality-of-life issue. Absolutely, they don't want to bring people in or try to attract people to come here Uh, when it's not a nice place to live.
0: And I agree. 65% of our community travels to work. And that's, I think, the number that's been thrown around. Is 65% commutes work back and forth. And when it comes down to the weekend, they want to do their activities. They want to hang out with their family. And that actually, as a community, we suffer because of that, because that means we have less volunteers. We have less people taking part. So we've seen uh, certain uh, certain festivals, like the Children's Festival, disappear, Test Metal disappear, and a few other events just uh, not materializing because of lack of support, lack of people. Farmer's Market recently. Yeah, mm. and, and uh, the the fair, the, the fall fair as well in Brackendale. Yeah. So what do we do? Where, where do we start? Because like I said, everything is sort of interconnected, right?
1: Well, I think it's an ongoing process. And so I think, you know, hopefully the new council would buy into um, some of what has already been going on and continue that. So in other words, look to accommodate uh, commercial development. Be careful about rezoning industrial or employment lands for residential. We've got a couple of applications for that right in front of us right now that are working their way through the system. But if you'd use up all the employment lands then you don't have places for people to work and, and you don't have places for businesses to locate here. So we have to be very careful about that. And we did a study in the last term uh, and it will be important, I think, for the new council to buy into that. But there's no one kind of silver bullet. It's kind of a culture, I think, going forward um, that people have to understand that that's the real priority. The residential is there. In some cases, you need residential to make the other stuff work in, in a development because that's where most of the money is. But but you want to get employment opportunities, um, and you want to get uh, the amenities as well just to make it nicer. And Waterfront Landing, for example, the old mill site is an example of that. It was zoned initially before I got in council uh, back in about 2006 or 7, and it was practically all residential. When the present companies bought at Boza and, and Kingswood, they came back to council. They wanted to rejig it, and we insisted, uh, if they were going to do that, that they put more employment lands into it. So now there's going to be a little employment hub there, a place for offices and, and commercial development and things like that. Uh, it's not all residential. That's an example, I think, that you have to bring to all of these, uh, these applications.
0: I think people forget that the waterfront and, and the GAS or the Garibaldi-Squamish, these proposals and projects have been in the works for decades. We're getting to the point now where we can materialize because the, the population is here. The people can support these sort of developments. Now it's a question of how do we work on the amenities because uh, I think Karen Elliott mentioned that we at least have to spend $100 million to repair some of the amenities that we have. A couple of mayoral candidates throughout out the, the number $200 million because million like when it comes to Brennan Park, adding an ice sheet, when it comes to water, sewage, the the dump, uh, some of our solid waste management, there's a lot of things that we need to work on just because not only council is great for developing housing and developing projects, but, I mean, we have to be sure that the water turns on in the morning, right? So, I mean, there, there is a struggle there. Yes, you want to attract people here, but then you sort of need, you know, the feedback into the system. You need to get the fire halls. You need to, I mean, a lot of things need to be so where, where do you think we should prioritize? Or, or like I know everything, is, is as you said, is, is in motion, but where do you think we can get our bang for our buck, reinject inject back into our amenities?
1: Well, the number that uh, Karen Elliott quoted, $100 million, comes from a report that we had staff do uh, complete uh, just recently. And that was actually on all types of municipal buildings. That wasn't just recreation. And they were in various states of disrepair. City Hall, for example, is one that needs an upgrade in fact, replacement, very quickly. It's just sort of falling down around us. Uh, it's all the municipal buildings, and so when you start adding on some of the uh, larger recreational asks, uh, you're right the number, can go higher. You know, there's a limit uh, to what funding can do, and you have to set priorities, absolutely, and that's that report attempts to do that. It gives estimated life expectancies for some of these buildings, and some of them are more immediate. I think we've identified four or five that are we want to start off with right away. Uh, others are a little longer term, but nevertheless, they all eventually will need replacement. So part of that is, is paid for by growth uh, with developer cost charges and, and amenity contributions from developers, but not all of it. It just will take local funding, and sometimes you can get grants. Uh, I know the province just announced some grants recently. Our staff are very diligent about applying for those, and sometimes the federal government also, especially when you get into an election cycle. There seems to be grant money available. So that's a possibility. Uh, those are all possibilities, but it, it'll come down to the local taxpayer and, and what our borrowing capacity is and what we want to borrow, and we'll just have to prioritize those things. Brennan Park's a classic example. We've been talking about that for a while. We've got some information on it. No hard decisions have been made, but a second ice sheet... Expanding the pool, just expanding programming space. Those types of things are certainly near the top of the list.
0: Oh, I bet. And uh, that's not. That's not. That's a very tall order. There's a lot of things to do. But I mean, an injection of money that we could be looking at is possibly LNG. I guess with your experience the last few years with LNG, best way to ask this question to you is. Where do you stand on LNG, I guess? Well, I've always
1: supported it and not shied away from that. And it it was an issue in the last election, as you know, and said at that time, uh, which I can still say today, I didn't have any concerns with that project. Uh, I was on a staff committee that examined different aspects of that. We had different presentations from different aspects of that development, uh, the water cooling and so forth. Um, And I, going through that process, did not see anything that stopped me from still supporting it. And I know that doesn't fit with a lot of philosophies out, out there, but <coughs> but that's my position on it. And one of the reasons I'm supporting it is, first of all, it's employment. Uh, there's going to be 100 full-time jobs uh, in shift work, plus a staff um, in downtown Squamish for payroll and HR and things like that. But in addition, there's tax revenue. Uh, and we don't know what that number is yet because we haven't seen an assessment um, but I'm thinking it's in the several millions of dollars per year. Uh,
0: from my understanding that the assessment came through is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the numbers I heard are between five and seven million.
1: That's the tax revenue. Yeah, and that's, I think that's the range. And so what they want to do is negotiate a tax deal, uh, which is not unprecedented. There is one in uh, southeastern BC with tech, I think. Uh, and there was one actually negotiator for one of the LNG proposals up near Prince Rupert, which didn't go ahead. But but what an investor wants is certainty in the future, how much money they're going to have to pay in taxes, because they don't want a counselor coming along 10 years from now when they've made their investment and jacking up the mill right. rate. And, and well, you're here
0: th- now. Might as well just uh, <laughs> turn it on you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Where do you go now? So it's a fair thing for an investment of that size. Uh, and as I say, it's not unprecedented. That will also be one of the first things that the new council puts its mind to. We've, the way it's been set up now, it's going to be staff that negotiates that. Ultimately, council will endorse it, but we wanted to take the politics out of it.
0: Wouldn't you see it's a little bit contentious now with the group of LNG, since we haven't been really at the table for the, for the last few years. We haven't been really properly engaging them. Because from from what I'm understanding is that they're actually going to build their headquarters in Britannia Beach, which is SLRD. They're talking about using Daryl Bay Port, which is Modi lands. They think and a lot of people think we can get more than five or seven million. That's just a number they're just throwing out there just for the sake of throwing out there.
1: Well, yeah, you raised a couple of points I don't think they've made a decision about where their their headquarters are right now it's in Vancouver. So I don't know that that decision has actually been made. They want to use uh, the Darrell Bay site, which the portion they want to use is actually owned by the district. Uh, and they want to use that during the construction period. That's a possibility. The difficult part of it is they want exclusive use of it, and there's other potential businesses in the community that might want it. So I'm guessing they will not get exclusive use. Uh, I just don't know that Council, at least the existing Council, is prepared to go there. No decision's been made yet. Uh, We are hopeful that they can work out something with these other businesses to accommodate everybody. So those are two things. But the actual assessment, BC assessment, of course, sets the value of these things. uh, And we know, uh, I actually, when I was chairing the finance committee, we had somebody from the assessment office come over and speak to us about that. Uh, These LNG facilities are kind of a new thing for them. But what they told us was with these large industrial projects generally, the assessment for the improvement part of it, not the land, typically works out to about 10 to 15% of the total capital costs. Mm -hmm. So this is about a $1.6 or $7 billion project. And the land portion of it, they had estimated at about 23 million, 24 million, something like that. It's probably gone up a little bit since then. But if you start running those numbers uh, at our current mill rates, uh, you end up somewhere in the 5 to $7 million range. Okay, And so when you're negotiating a tax deal, uh, I guess every individual council will have their own view of it, but my view is that it has to be based in reality. Uh, it has to be what we would get otherwise plus something for certainty, uh, and I don't know what that number is. The other thing that happens with these things is two things. One is inflation. Uh, our taxes just generally rise to meet inflationary pressures throughout the community, so we have to account for that. And the other, the significant thing that people don't realize is depreciation. The improvements depreciate at 6% a year. So with a large tax bill like that, that's a significant reduction if nothing else happens. How do you deal with that? And what's happened with some of the pulp mills on the coast is the municipalities just raised the mill rate 6% a year to account for it and then eventually the whole thing gets way out of balance. So we have to try to account for that because we're talking probably a 25-year deal. Uh, We haven't really set a limit on it, but it'll be something like that. So you want to account for all of those issues. But that could be a significant injection of funds, and that can certainly help us because the other thing, unlike some of these other communities, the one up north, for example, they had to practically build a town to accommodate it. So that's a lot of municipal infrastructure and so forth, we don't have to do anything over there. We don't have to give them fire coverage, no sewer, no water. They pay for any garbage that they'll dump in the in the landfill. Uh, policing costs are just part of the community. It's not that big a deal. So it basically that money, whatever we get, just goes straight to the bottom line. Uh, we don't have to spend a lot of money on services to get it. So it will be a real injection for the community when that starts to happen. Um, it can make, you know, a $10 million cost for a new ice sheet seem very reasonable and very doable. uh, And there's all kinds of things we can do with it. So that's coming up, and that's something I expect. Um, I know because I speak to them from time to time that they would like to get that particular point nailed down. I'm expecting we would get that done in the first year of the term.
0: Which is great. I mean, yeah, injection of money is, is fantastic. Yeah, well, then cool.
1: you can start planning for it Yeah, if you know that's coming. Um, I mean, it's not going to appear until the thing is built out, but um, you can start planning for it.
0: Well, I mean, and also like, to develop economy here and to develop uh, housing and to develop transit, we've talked about a lot of partnerships with other communities. So let's switch gears a little bit. In Whistler, we have an acclaimed mayor. Uh, Jack is pretty much mayor and uh he has been willing to sit down with uh the regional regional municipalities and start discussing partnerships in many ways what would you like to see from whistler uh, like in terms of partnerships in like transit or anything else or maybe with housing because of the because Vale is a bit different way of handling their staff issues than say interest was where they want to perhaps staff to commute in so what kind of partnerships are you looking to build possibly with whistler
1: well i know jack um fairly well because he was the chair of the regional district for the last year, uh, four years and I was on the regional district board as one of Squamish's two representatives and I think he'll be a good mayor and he is very collaborative and he does seek to build consensus and we've already talked about things like regional transit and so what people have to understand is is the transit that you see within the District of Squamish uh, is funded significantly by BC Transit, a provincial uh, body, and they pay for approximately half of the cost of the transit. Transit's quite expensive. That's within the municipality, uh, and it's the same with municipalities all over BC, but it's not regional transit. And so yeah. when we start talking about regional transit, now we're connecting Pemberton, Whistler, Squamish, and Vancouver we're not really touching the transit within the separate municipalities. That's a different funding model. And at the moment, uh, BC Transit doesn't contribute to that. So we have to figure out a way to come up with that. So we've already got a staff committee from primarily Whistler and Squamish but also with some input from Pemberton and the Regional District that's been working on this and working on funding and probably something like a gas tax uh, would be used to help fund that. But I think Jack is on board with that. Um, I think uh, hopefully Whistler is because it's certainly to their advantage. They have people coming in from Pemberton, and people coming in from Squamish, and so a good regional transit system is certainly in their best interest.
0: Yeah, it's a good initiative for them, especially if they have staff everywhere. I mean, they can't accommodate all the staff, obviously, in no. Whistler, so they need sort of some way to move their staff in and out, and also be nice for our 18 to 34-year-olds who, uh, who like to go skiing on the weekend, and don't want to drive up, right?
1: Well, absolutely, you know, and that, you know, the highway, as we all know, is, is choked, and, and uh, especially in the busy times of the weekend and. I mean, it's a huge source of pollution, if nothing else. Uh, and so anytime we can get cars off the road like that, I think that's a plus. And, and a lot of people just don't have access to regular automobile uh, use. So, yeah, it helps them get to places too.
0: You're talking about a gas tax. I mean, it's so right now, the way we're being charged for gas in this town, it, it, again, it's, it's it's like, why are we paying the same amount of uh, gas gas price as Vancouver when they have 15 cents excise and we don't it just seems like outright gouging. When you propose a tax a gas tax to help with transit, is there any guarantees in place that par- gas prices will stay the same and so we can fund our transit plus not pay any more than we're already paying?
1: Yeah, no, there's no guarantee. It's a uh, it's a private market, you know, a private business, and um, and it's actually 17 cents different, and and uh, and you wonder why. Uh, I wonder that all the time, but I think. If we did impose, say, 5 cents a liter, something like that, that's the number that's been kicked around at the moment. You would have to expect that they would reduce their prices. Otherwise, people, a lot of their customers are from Vancouver, the lower mainland. They would just fill up down there. So I think they'll always want to uh be competitive. <clears throat> Otherwise people will just, you know, vote with their feet kind of thing and they'll just take off and go somewhere else and fill up.
0: But still we have sixty five percent of the commuters here, right? Our sixty five percent of our community commutes down the city. So they're gonna end up paying.
1: Well, they can fill up down there if the prices are cheaper True down enough. there. You know. True enough. Yeah.
0: Just gotta make sure you, you fill up wherever <laughs> is cheaper. So so five five cents a liter and so when when we're building a system, for example, you want to build a transit system. Uh, going back to so between Whistler and Pemberton. Do you think maybe the private sector would make, maybe fill in some of the some of the gaps like because you know Greyhound is no longer uh, operating anymore but there's businesses like the Squamish Connector there's a few others that want to step up and expand and move into is there a place for like, the private model
1: Yeah absolutely because um you can get private operators of a public system uh, and that's what we have in Squamish right now it's uh, the services actually those aren't district employees that's a private company that provides the service to BC Transit in the District of Squamish so they have their own employees and and it's a private opportunity uh, and absolutely i would think that something like that could happen there's no uh, there's no thought of having a a huge bus company owned by the municipal governments. I don't think.
0: Yeah, b- governments into business. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's right, and that's
1: one of the reasons you don't do that, uh, because you know you keep your focus on what you can do well and let somebody else do that what they do well.
0: So, uh, ab- apart from everything we've talked about, any other things you'd like to see develop in, in Swamish the next next term? Well, I think
1: you know you know affordable housing is an issue that just I think everybody has to talk about at some point, and and we've made some progress over the last term. We have zoning requirements for new developments to provide for affordable rentals, which is below market rentals, as well as designated rentals, so that there, there is a rental market. I think that's the real problem is the rentals uh, or lack of rentals. Part of the problem is Airbnb, uh, you know, using yeah, what should be there. suites that, uh, that should be for rental, uh, for long-term rental, and they're not. They're being used for nightly rentals, so that's an enforcement issue, and we're starting to turn our minds to that but uh but i think we want to continue to uh as a municipal council force developers to provide that uh, that type of housing provide incentives for them to provide that type of housing in in terms of zoning and speed through the system and so forth uh i don't think we will uh we didn't solve it in one term we won't solve it all in the next term we'll just have to keep plugging away at that and the other part of that there's also different levels of housing of course and and everything from the homeless to to the person in the single family home and and we've made some advances with homeless shelters now reinventing itself across the street is under one roof and that's a partnership of the municipality and bc housing and the municipality uh, put in the land and helping hands will actually operate it i think there's more opportunities like that that's a very strong community group helping hands and so they have come up with this they're focused on it they'll get this one going and maybe there'll be another one so I think it's a matter of being open to those types of partnerships and doing what we can to facilitate that
0: building rentals and because I hear a lot of varying answers to this question whereas the market will dictate the market will dictate whether we build them or not but I mean we do I guess you said like Airbnb is an issue uh, and then, yes, you're right, incentivizing sort of builders or homeowners to put in a suite. What we were looking at? Possibly uh, removing some of the roadblocks of creating a suite?
1: Well, we've done a couple of things. So first of all, if you are putting a suite in your house, we d- you don't have to pay DCCs, which you used to. For a coach house, we've loosened up the regulations for coach houses, separate auxiliary dwellings. Um, so to make that easier for people to do that. But with developers, we've said that, you know, if you're providing an entirely or almost entirely rental building, we'll give you sort of a fast track through the development process. And so that's just time. I mean they eventually have to hit all the boxes. Time is money. Time is money, absolutely. And that's an incentive for some developers. And other developers with some of these larger developments, we have insisted on a certain portion of that development being designated rental and some of it being sub-market rental. It's not a formula. It will be managed by uh, ultimately by the district.
0: Switch gears a little bit now, and to give you a little bit of praise, I've talked to lots of people, and the fact that you're running again has a sigh of relief on a lot, lot of the locals, uh, especially uh, some of our pundits and some of our other uh, candidates that we've talked to, because uh, you're the only one who would have lots of experience. You know the nuances of how council works. So you're, you're essentially going to be, if Susan or Karen did not win the election, say if Jeff, in the, in the hot seat or test in the hot seat and, and you have all new counselors with you, um, I, I, I'm expecting you might be have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that probably is true. I mean, if, um, if uh, we had a, a mayoral candidate without experience, certainly, and, and that's okay. I think, you know, it takes people, you know, six months to a year to kind of get going and, and I'm happy to do that. Happy to mentor. And, and I guess it is, you know, trying to blow my own horn a little bit but it is good to have a little bit of corporate history uh, on a council five new counselors minimum which is what this election will bring us uh, is a big turnover uh, yes. for squamish and uh, we've had three before and we've had four before but five is a number that i can't think of i don't
0: remember anything more than three to be honest uh, oh, my yeah. first term we had four oh, okay yeah
1: but um, but still it's a, it's a significant number and that kind of continuity will be important, yeah, I think.
0: Especially with all the programs and, and research you've put in place. Like, as you said, everything is is in progress. A- and the fact that we're at such a precipice of change, and I think I brought this at the top of the interview, that the fact that a lot of your, your partners or a lot of your colleagues have decided, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done. and And so... All, all this is building up to one big, you know, um, shift, and then you are like the lone wolf still left from the old guard. <laughs> I, don't, I use the term old guard loosely. Uh, it's okay, and, I'm uh, not taking it personally. <laughs> and then there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, kids essentially. I mean, who are going to be kids? Uh, like, well, John Friends is not necessarily a kid, but their their ex- experience is very limited. So uh, it's good to know that you're looking forward to the challenge. Because I think you know, there there will be quite a bit of hand-holding.
1: Yeah, and, and staff help with that, too. Um, and one of the things we've done over the past uh, few terms is we've built up, I think, a very good staff, a core staff, especially at the senior manager level. And so they'll help, certainly, And because there are some things in public life that are quite different from the private sector. I Spent my life in the private sector managing a law firm as a business. And municipal government and local government is a different animal, certainly. Different financing rules, different spending rules. There's all kinds of different nuances to, uh, to dealing with public money as opposed to private money. So yes, um, that will be one of the things I offer. There's no question about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the government is definitely a different animal. I mean, it's, the government's for the benefit of everyone, and it's not necessarily about the bottom line.
1: Well, and you're using other people's money, you know, and in the private sector, you're using your own money. If you if you make a mess of it, that's that's your business. But when you're taxing for money, uh, that, that's a special thing, uh, and it creates a special trust. And so you really do have to be careful about that and think about all the consequences and uh, you can't just go around taxing willy nilly. I think we all understand that. So we do have to prioritize and and engage the public so they understand where it's going. Because you know, as they say in law, it's, it doesn't have to be just right. It also has to appear to be right. And so I think the public has to have faith in that system as well.
0: appear to be right. That could be taken so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> so give me give me your final slug line. Give me, give me your pitch.
1: Well, I didn't really have a pitch prepared, actually. I've, I've told you sort of what I'm standing for. and, and
0: Or your, your campaign slogan. You're not know, coming out with slogans. Or just like, I'm Doug Race. Proven experience.
1: I'm going to change it. You know, for the first three, it was a good decision. But hinting that, you know, I was a good decision for a voter and I would make good decisions on their behalf. But... This time, I think the thing I really bring to the table, as just, you've just hinted on it, is, is proven experience. That's the first thing uh, I'll be offering the public.
0: Well, thank you for doing this today, Doug. My pleasure. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at SeaToSkyPodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.